Welcome to another wonderful episode of Paranormally Speaking. I'm your host, Neil Parks. What is the dark side of the moon? Dark side of the moon is hiding this incredible secret and UFO hunters have shock proof, they claim. It has been a source of mystery for generations. But what is the dark side of the moon? It has been a source of mystery, but the dark side of the moon holds many secrets. Planet Earth only gets to see one side of the giant space rock and what lies on the other half is virtually unknown. Now a UFO enthusiast claims that aliens are living in a supermassive network of tunnels and caves on our moon. He suspects they are thriving in the underground cities covering the mysterious dark side, which can never be seen from Earth. And now he has evidence and astonishing images from a lost lunar spaceship, which has been found orbiting the moon after going missing eight years ago. The images from Shanandran 1 appear to show a network of lava tubes snaking under the surface of the satellite, with thousands of caves scattered all over. It was created by streams of magma, which ran dry. But now Jesse, who runs the YouTube channel UFO News, believes they are homing an entire civilization. The presence of enormous caves on the moon suggests that an alien civilization could currently be living much closer to home than we previously thought, the alien enthusiast told the Daily Star online. We find it fascinating that an extensive network of caves and tunnels, some of which are large enough to house entire cities from Earth, are covering the surface of the moon. Why is it that these caves have slipped under the radar of public interest for so long? Is it possible that NASA could be privately discouraging the exploration of these structures in order to suppress public interest? NASA has admitted that these caves could be used as potential locations for a human colony on the moon. It makes us wonder if they might have already investigated these without public knowledge. It is a known fact that craters are covering the moon and have been created by meteorites that have peppered its surface through the years. But conspiracy theorists like Jesse believes that the aliens are hiding out on the shadows there and in tunnels which connect to them. Prior to the investigation of satellites, the dark side of the moon would have been a convenient location for an alien civilization to live and remain hidden from view. He told us, as our technology evolves, such a civilization would likely be forced to use new tactics to remain hidden. These caves and tunnels would make perfect locations for an ancient alien civilization to take refuge from the prying eyes of humanity. The far side of the moon, which Jesse believes is inhabited by extraterrestrials and life as long, has been dubbed the dark side. This is because it can never be seen from our planet as it spins at the same rate as it orbits the Earth, meaning it is kept hidden from our view. It was only pictured for the first time by the Russians in 1959, Jesse told us. Many of these massive caves reside on the dark side of the moon, out of view of the ground-based telescopes. Buried deep within the ground, the caves offer protection from the sun and the harsh realities of space. In our most recent video on UFO News, we included pictures of what appear to be the surface marks of these tunnels crisscrossing the surface. These well-established pictures serve as new evidence 
that a superhighway of interconnected lava tubes are being used as a highway system to allow an alien civilization to move about the moon undetected. Until NASA is willing to do some direct investigation of these objects using high-definition cameras, we are going to take their silence as a nod in the direction that aliens are indeed on the moon. The cube-sized satellite where the new images of the moon have come from first went missing in 2009 after being successfully launched in October of 2008. It is roughly the size of a smart car, measuring 1.5 meters tall on each side and had completed 3,400 orbits around the moon when less than a year later a radio contact was lost. But this year, it was announced that the probe had been found orbiting 200 kilometers above the lunar surface by NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in California. Jesse's suspicion came 10 years after the Apollo 20 hoax, as he calls it, which saw claims that NASA carried out secret lunar missions. The video surfaced on YouTube from a user claiming to be a retired American astronaut who commanded this mission. The clips appeared to show proof of the existence of alien intelligence, alien life on the moon, and included a picture of a female alien nicknamed Mona Lisa, hibernating. But all the videos were posted on the video sharing site on April 1st of that same year. April Fool's Day, of course. Hinting the story was nothing more than an elaborate prank. King Solomon purportedly wrote one of the earliest works in Western culture, where types of demons are classified by domain. The Testament of Solomon, in this piece, King Solomon describes his interactions with Beelzebub and other demons who he enslaves to help build his temple. The book also contains numerous rituals and sigils that are still used today to conjure demons. Demons listed by Seleucus in the 11th century, Michael Seleuz attempted to classify types of demons by domain. The type of demons that Seleuz divided demons into were Imperial, which uh, fiery, Aerial, subterranean, Lucifugius, which is uh, heliophobic, uh, Aqueos, and Terrestrial. Demons listed by the seven deadly sins. Deadly sin number one, pride, the lantern of light, an anomalous English Lillard tract often attributed to Wycliffe, was also known, unknown at that time, a work that is now believed to be written by Wycliffe himself. The book categorized types of demons based upon the seven deadly sins. These types of demons that Wycliffe used would be later found in the books by John Taylor, the water poet. St. Catherine of Siena attacked by demons, deadly sin number one. Deadly sin one is demon Lucifer. Deadly sin number two is envy, Beelzebub. Number three, wrath, Satan. Number four of the deadly sins, sloth, which is Abaddon. Deadly sin number five, greed, which is Mammon. Number six, the deadly sin and the demon for gluttony is Belphegar. Number seven, the deadly sin of lust is Asmodeus. Spina's list of demons inspired by different legends and stories of his time, Alsfonios de Spina, in 1467, classified demons by 
Incubi and succubi, demons that have sex with the living. Demons of fate, otherwise known as the angel of death. Wandering groups or armies of demons, otherwise known as legion. Familiars, which are animal spirit guides for witches and warlocks, who are considered personal demons. Druids, in German folklore, it is an evil spirit that causes nightmares. Cambions and other demons that are born from the union of a demon with a human being, which is also Nephilim. Mischievous demons, which are imps, worker demons. I've encountered many of those upon investigations. Demons that attack clergy. The exorcist is a prime example of that. Demons that entice people into the occult and witchcraft. Binsfield's types of demons. And the Prince of Hell by Peter Bensfield in 1589, different types of demons again are classified by the seven deadly sins. The only exception is that the names of the demons are slightly different than Lantern of Light. Number one, Lucifer is pride. Mammon is once again greed. Asmodeus is lust. Leviathan is envy. Beelzebub is gluttony. Satan is wrath. And Belphegor is sloth again. The King James Bible's version of demons. Several years prior to the King James Bible, in 1591, King James wrote, Demon Olagerg. Demon Olagerg separates demons into four types based on what that devil causes torture on the living and the dead. Spectra. In the modern world, referred to a haunting, spectra or spirits of the dead that haunt places or objects. Obsession. Ghosts or spirits that haunt people. Possession. Demon or spirits that take over the actual body and soul of the living. And that only happens to the willing. Fairies. Spirits or demons that give advice to the living. They commonly live within heavily wooded areas and places of enchantment like Ireland and Scotland. Types of demons according to Michaelis. Types of demons that Sebastian Michaelis has in his own book... The admirable history were given to him by the demon Barith. When he was exercising a nun, his classification system is based upon the sin the devil tempts the living to commit. First hierarchy, princes of fallen angels. Beelzebub, the demon that tempts men with pride, is opposed by St. Francis of Assisi. Leviathan, the demon attempts people to give into heresy and is opposed by St. Peter. Asmodeus, the demon that tempts men into wantonness, is opposed by St. John the Baptist. Berith, the demon who tempts men to commit murder, is opposed by St. Barnabas. Astaroth, the demon tempts men to be lazy, opposed by St. Bartholomew. Verine, the demon tempts men with impatience, and he is opposed by St. Dominique. Grizil, the demon tempts men with impurity, opposed by St. Bernard. Son Elan, the demon tempts men to hate, and he is opposed by St. Stephen. The second hierarchy, of course, demons of powers, dominions, and virtues. Cariou, the demon of powers, and is opposed by St. Vincent and Vincent Ferrer. Carnival, this demon tempts men to obscenity and shamelessness, and he is opposed by John the Evangelist. Oilet, the demon that tempts men to vow of poverty, is opposed by St. Martin. 
Rosier, a demon of dominions, this demon, he tempts men against sexual purity. He is opposed by St. Basil. Belias, a demon of virtues, this demon, he tempts men with arrogance and women to be vain, raise their children as want as wantons, and St. Francis de Paul opposes gossip during Mass. And there's a third hierarchy, and it's pretty much the same as the first and second hierarchy. Not a lot changes between those three variations. Now, the nine types of demons, according to Francis Barrett, and Francis Barrett's books, The Magus, uh, written in 1801, offered this, his classification for types of demons. Beelzebub, the keeper of false gods, demons of false idols and prophets. Pythias, spirit of lying, the demon of liars. This must be the demon that possesses Donald Trump. Belial, vessel of iniquity, demons of evil things. Asmodeus is the demon of wickedness. Satan is the imitator of miracles, the demon of witchcraft. He's the author of confusion, of course. Miriam, he has aerial powers and also is the demon of pestilence. Abaddon Furies is the demon of discord. Asteroth Calminators is the demon of inquisitors and fraudulent accusers. And Memon Malageni is the demon of tempters and ensnarers. And that is a list that I felt needed to be shared. It's kind of like a walk down the book of Genesis lesson for you today. This is exactly why they call me preacher when I'm at the Mothman Festival and various other conventions and festivals uh, doing lectures and speaking because I tie in a lot of spirituality and historical knowledge, uh, both world history and biblical history, into my teachings and what I write about and talk about. Thanks for hanging out with me this long. And now, a word from our sponsor. Ghosts, aliens, UFOs, Bigfoot, parallel universes, angels and demons, time travel, cryptozoology, and so much more within the realm of the unexplained, the strange, and the out of this world. I'm your host, Neil Parks, award-winning author, screenwriter, researcher, and paranormal professional. Join me every week as I tackle hot-button topics within the paranormal realm. I'll share personal accounts, my research, and secondhand evidence. I will read excerpts and stories from my books and discuss my upcoming projects in the literary world. Documentaries, both on TV and the big screen, plus my independent film projects. Paranormally Speaking is both thought-provoking and entertaining. New episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in to Paranormally Speaking and prepare to be enlightened. Demons Impersonating Aliens In Matthew 24... 3 through 14, Jesus gives us a description of the last days and the deception that will accompany that time. Take heed, he warns, repeatedly, that no one deceives you. Warning of deceitful workers, the apostle Paul alerted his readers to beware, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. We are not ignorant at his devices. 2 Corinthians 2.11 and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11.14 This satanic being is so powerful that he is called the prince of this world. John 12.31 The prince of power, of the air. Ephesians 2.2 2. And even the god of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. That's power. The current barrage of science fiction books and movies 
have successfully conditioned the hearts and minds of this generation to accept demons as aliens, according to many experts from that aspect. Aliens from outer space, they've been depicted as. Even the young children in the movie, E.T., perceived a cute-looking alien as a friend. Such conditioning creates a mindset to accept demons as good entities, according to the author of that book. Entities instead of evil beings. So it's no wonder that people are deluded to believing in benevolent visitors from outer space. Star Trek and Star Wars, along with a host of other similar screenplays, have galvanized an interest in life from an outer space, thus preparing a whole generation to accept UFOs and aliens. Mankind should be taught to stand against the deception that is suggested by these movies, according to the book's author, and encouraged to understand the reality of the spirit world. As Christian parents, we should be very careful about allowing our children to view these types of movies because they can unduly influence young and innocent minds with the glamour of witchcraft and New Age philosophy, according to the book's author. I, for one, see both sides because, yes, there are beings from other worlds, whether it be other planets, whether it be a multiverse concept or other universes or something from a completely different time that is parallel to our own world or possibly a world that has not fallen from sin, fallen into sin, therefore not needing a redeemer like Christ. So the beings visiting us could very well be enlightened ones, uh, safe to be around and just curious as to what direction we're going to go in. But then there's a flip side of the coin. There could be dark alien entities that are not from another planet, that are not from the future, that are not from another dimension, but actually from the realm of hell, impersonating beings of interest, something that could entice us lure us in, entirely possible. But that's the other side of the coin. The first side I mentioned very well could be connected to my original theory that there are worlds that have not fallen into sin like ours has, therefore not needing a redeemer. Jesus did not have to go to those planets and seek and save the lost because they're already fine. They never took of the fruit from their Garden of Eden. They didn't need to be restored and saved, but the human race did, which could explain why we are so behind technologically to these beings. I mean, yeah, we're way up there. Uh, we are about as smart as we know we can get at this point. We don't know anything beyond what we already know, but there could be beings that are far superior to us and guiding us in the right direction to make those advances in technology to better ourselves as a race, as a society, as a planet. Entirely possible. But then there are Christian extremists who would love to take the book I was mentioning written by a one-sided author who's only screaming, that's a demon, that's a demon, that's a demon at everything which really doesn't help anyone at all, nor does it cause anyone to really want to run through the doors of a church 
and jump onto that frame of thought because too much control there. Jesus made us creatures of free will. And when you have someone from the pulpit conducting what I refer to as divisive hate speech and calling everyone and everything that doesn't look or behave a certain way, not of God, that doesn't help anyone or anything. And that is not what Jesus came here to teach us. Please hold for a very important message from our sponsor. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available, and last spring my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. Next segment. This story I'm about to share with you is absolutely mind-blowing. It was sent to me about a week ago, and it's connected to the declassified and recently unearthed files from the CIA on UFO phenomenon, stating that a UFO attack occurred and five extraterrestrials petrified 23 Russian soldiers. 23 Russian soldiers lost their life during a UFO attack in Siberia. The CIA declassified report describes this event as a horrific picture of revenge on the part of extraterrestrial creatures, a picture that makes one's blood freeze. The frightful information was one of the many published online by the CIA, directly connected to their website. Chiefly, it involves a horrible event about a UFO alien attack, which turned into stone 23 Russian soldiers. Now, I said earlier this occurred in 1988. I was mistaken. It was March 27th, 1993. This infamous report was created then. In a translation of a report from the Ukrainian newspaper, Ternopil Virginility, namely the newspaper claims that after Mikhail Gorbachev lost his leadership, many KGB files ended up in CIA hands. Among them, allegedly there was a 250-page portfolio on the strange UFO attack. The report included pictures and witness statements as well. I've been a die-hard Bigfoot enthusiast since I was a kid. There were these documentaries that were made in the 1970s. Raymond Burr hosted them. And George C. Scott did a couple as well as Leonard Nimoy. They pertain to Bigfoot sightings, eyewitness accounts, uh, dramatizations, reenactments of these said sightings. Uh, also, the documentaries they did related to the Bermuda Triangle, UFO sightings, ghostly encounters, the ghosts of Gettysburg. Uh, the list goes on. Uh, I was very young when these came out. Um, it, it drew me in right away. And... When I was about eight, I set out on my own hiking slash camping adventure looking for Bigfoot. 
and the gooseneck mountains of my grandmother's property that was in between Beaver and Piketon, Ohio, on the back 40 podunk. Uh, if you're not at all familiar with that, if you've heard of BFE, it's just south of that. It is literally over the river and through the woods and up the hill and down the mountain. It's way off the beaten path. I don't think any cell phone company gets service out there. But when I was a kid, cell phones didn't exist. We just had walkie-talkies, two-way radios, whatnot, CB radios. And I went off for what was going to be an overnight stay. I was going to camp out in the woods and look for Bigfoot. Lo and behold, it took me a few hours before I got bored and came home because instead of finding Bigfoot, I, in fact, discovered um, a deer carcass, a beehive where I almost got stung by bees, and a cave where something was snarling and growling from the inside. Um, Chances are it was either a bear or a bobcat. But when I heard that, I decided to head back home it was around 5 p.m. on a Saturday when I returned to my grandma's house, empty-handed, but not losing the faith in finding Bigfoot one day. And in fact, a promise I've made to myself as well as those who know me, if I were to ever find Bigfoot and we locked eyes and we communicated in one way, shape, or form, um, it, it would be an honor to set my eyes upon such a magnificent creature, whether it be a, a humanoid or whatever his species would be, or its species would be considered. Uh, in reference to Bigfoot, I don't want to refer to the female Bigfoot as he. I would never tell anyone where I discovered it, where I found Bigfoot. I, I would be afraid that these gun nut hunters would run into the woods firing at anything that moves and disrupting the habitat of the Sasquatch that I found. And that would just break my heart because they are literally an endangered species. In fact, the government has already acknowledged that these things exist. I mean, since the 1960s, they have put in the certain states, have put in their state's register as well as their almanacs. Uh, certain species that you will encounter, certain types of animals you will encounter, uh, while camping in the wilderness, while hiking the woods, while going and exploring the mountains, rock climbing, rappelling, what have you. They always, especially in the Pacific Northwest, always have Bigfoot mentioned in their state almanacs or in their state registers of animals that you will encounter, creatures you will encounter. In fact, um, the state of Washington has... Sasquatch as one of their on the endangered species list as well as one of their natural um, living creatures that reside within the area. And I know Tennessee also has something pertaining to that. And the list goes on with weird things the government has already acknowledged. For example, uh, UFO sightings, aliens, uh, fire marshal handbooks or fire department handbooks uh, in regards to like natural disasters or some sort of pandemic in relationship to alien encounters or a crashed UFO or first contact. There's actually steps that they are required to follow and train for if they do, in fact, encounter this type of phenomenon. So we've been preparing for it for a long time. It's just not really public knowledge. And it makes sense if you go all the way back to War of the Worlds when it was done in the format of a 
radio broadcast and everything was done with voice and sound effects before television existed really and this was all done on the radio people heard this recording and thought for certain that we were under an invasion at that point in time and there were people literally actually people committing suicide as a result of the fear that they felt from the possibility that their loved ones were going to die due to this alien invasion that was unfolding in this radio broadcast and this this dramatization and so many people by the hundreds maybe by the thousands thought this was a legit event that was happening it was unfolding and these secrets that are kept from us from the upper echelon by the upper echelon from us it, it makes sense if you think about it because the general population as a whole a majority of people are not prepared to handle such a change to our culture, to our society, to our civilization as an invasion or an arrival for that matter. The people of the world are not prepared to handle it. And especially with within the United States, we are full of gun nuts in this country. Now, owning a gun is one thing. I'm cool with guns. I know how to handle them. I know how to dismantle them, reassemble them, clean them, name it. I can fire them. I can shoot them well. But when dudes are going out at gun shows and acquiring AR-15s and AK-47s without so much as a background check, they themselves could also have some sort of a blemish in their background for domestic violence or for assault charges or for some sort of mental illness and they're able to acquire firearms with such a weapon of mass destruction these killing machines they can acquire by the truckloads without a proper background check without the waiting period that should be required when purchasing such a weapon and there was a time when the government outlawed semi-automatic weapons in fact it was the republicans who called for the banning of semi-automatic weapons but now we have this new superpower that's running the boat and steering it directly into the rocks and they're like oh no bump stocks are cool that just turns your semi-automatic weapon into a fully automatic weapon why not because the nra is lacing their pockets and funneling so much money into the gop that they're bought and paid for by them. So of course they're going to kowtow to that. The NRA in that aspect, they're acting like a bunch of thugs, like the Teamsters, when they were bullying people into unions and doing dirty deeds behind closed doors to manipulate the money that was being paid into said unions. There's got to be a ceiling here where eventually they bump their heads and it's like, okay, this is where it stops. Have we not reached that point yet? An invasion or an arrival from some alien species would cause these lunatics that are acquiring these killing machines, these weapons of mass destruction, to essentially start an interstellar war because they would run out to the yards of their homes or their buddies' houses, get lit up on moonshine, and start firing at whatever they saw in the sky. And their weapons are far more advanced than ours. So all I would do is just piss them off and then it would cause us to become completely vaporized. It's just a key point to think about. We're really, as a civilization, not prepared for the truth, not equipped to handle it. It would change everything about what we know 
and what modern science has taught us and what known science can comprehend. Hey guys, good news. The outrageously expensive little blue pill is now generic, which means you can get the prescription medication to treat ED at affordable prices. And Hems makes it extra affordable. You pay just 30 bucks for a month's supply. And right now, get your first online doctor's visit totally free when you go to 4hems.com good. That's right, free, zero copay, no expensive appointments, no awkward face-to-face conversations to get your prescription. Hims connects you to doctors online who can evaluate you and, if appropriate, prescribe your ED medication. And a pharmacy sends it right to your door. Hims makes it affordable, private, and incredibly easy. Nobody likes dealing with ED. Now, thanks to Hims, nobody has to. And that's really good news. To start your free online visit, you need to go to this exclusive address, 4hims.com slash good. That's 4hims.com slash good for your free online visit. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash good. Family is big around here. We're family owned, family operated, family managed. And that means legacy. That means dependability. That means using Granger. With over 1.5 million products and knowledgeable product experts, Granger has whatever we need. And with same-day pickup and next-day delivery options, they have it whenever we need it. For over 90 years, businesses like ours have trusted Granger. Because, like family, Granger's got our back. Call, clickgranger.com, or stop by to see for yourself. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Vermont has a history of Bigfoot sightings, but no mention in the FBI files. The FBI files released over 20 pages of official agency records pertaining to Bigfoot in the United States. While the FBI five files make no mention of Vermont, some like Frank Sineski of Hubbardton thinks the creature could be wandering around in the woods of Vermont. Bigfoot in Vermont, could that be true? Sineski, a self-described Bigfoot and Sasquatch researcher, said he has proof to back up his claims that Vermont is a great place for the creature to live and to hide. In September of 2010, Sineski said he caught an image of Bigfoot on a trail camera that was stationed on part of his property in Hubbardton. Bigfoot sightings in Vermont date back to the late 70s into the early 80s, if not earlier than that. Sineski said and included sightings by a professor from Castleton University and his daughter. Vermont is a prime location for Bigfoot and Sasquatch because it's so remote and has a lot of undisturbed private property, Sineski said. Places like Rutland and Hubbardton consistently have sightings due to the woods and remoteness of parts of that area, he said. Some people do believe and others don't believe, Sineski said. I, in fact, do. A conversation with the FBI, the FBI files reveal conversation between one man who pushed the agency to test the existence of Bigfoot. In August 1976, Peter C. Byrne, then the director of the Bigfoot Information Center and exhibit based in the Dallas, Oregon, wrote to the FBI asking the agency to confirm or deny if they had been testing hair samples on Bigfoot. Byrne attached to his letter two newspaper articles that state the FBI has tested hairs and suspected to they belong to Bigfoot and tests indicated that hair did not match any known creature. FBI Assistant Director Jay Cochran Jr. wrote back to Byrne saying that the tests cited in the articles never happened. In November 1976, the FBI agreed to test the hair samples Byrne had. The FBI concluded that the hair samples 
thought to belong to Bigfoot came from a member of a deer family origin, according to the records. Unparalleled insider access. Get it all. Introducing the SiriusXM Platinum VIP plan. Our newest, most exclusive plan. Listen in two cars, plus stream anywhere with two app logins. Access a massive, exclusive library of live concert video and audio recordings through nugs.net. Have opportunities to experience live and virtual SiriusXM events, including VIP-only exclusives. Get all your questions answered by a dedicated VIP customer care team. Plus, get all the entertainment we've got. It's all included with your Platinum VIP subscription. Be a VIP. Call 844-711-8800 to learn more. Offer details apply. One login for activated vehicle. Not available in Canada. Not to mention the Rough Rider, Teddy Roosevelt, versing Bigfoot one day. Did America's most outdoorsy president have a close encounter with Sasquatch? There's no better time to explore how one of our most famous presidents might have drifted into the orbit of one of our most famous mythical beasts then, 4th of July. Theodore Roosevelt, president from 1858 to... No. He was born in 1858, passed away, unfortunately, in 1919. He emerged on the American landscape of a symbol of exuberance, some might say manic masculinity, before tumbling into the presidency as a consequence of his predecessor's assassination. He was an active outdoorsman for nearly his entire life. He not only loved hiking, camping, and shooting big animals with high-powered firearms, he loved writing about those experiences. His books included The Wilderness Hunter, Hunting Trips of the Ranchman, and Ranch Life and the Hunting Trail. In The Wilderness Hunter, Roosevelt describes a peculiar incident with a Native American guide while hunting in the Selkirk Mountain Range, which extends through Idaho into eastern Washington. Emil objected strongly to leaving the neighborhood of the lake. He went the first day's journey willingly enough, but after that it was increasingly difficult to get him to come along, and he was gradually growing sulky. Finally, he gave us to the uh, understanding that he was afraid because up in the high mountains, there were little bad Indians who would kill him if they caught him alone, especially at night. At first, we thought he was speaking of stray warriors of the Blackfoot tribe, but it turned out he was not thinking of human beings at all, but of hobgoblins. Indeed, the night sounds of these great screeches in the mountain woodland were very, very weird and strange. I never before so well understood why the people who live in lonely forest regions are prone to believe in elves, wood spirits, and other beings of the unseen world. Something was lurking out there, but what? It's easy enough to chalk up those odd night sounds to conventional animal cries, distorted by distances and mountains. But Roosevelt was also an experienced outdoorsman. Something clearly spooked him to the point where he keeps this reminiscence relatively short in contrast to some of his other tales which go on and on and on and another passage from the same book Roosevelt describes a conversation with a mountain man Bauman who he tells a horrifying tale of a creature in the woods Roosevelt sets the scene frontiersmen are not as a rule apt to be very superstitious they lead lives too hard and practical 
and have too little time for imagination and things spiritual and supernatural. I have heard but a few ghost stories while living on the frontier, and those few were of a perfectly commonplace and conventional type. But I once listened to a goblin story, which rather impressed me. A grizzled, weather-beaten old mountain man, a hunter named Bauman, who born and had passed all of his life on the frontier, told me the story. He must have believed what he was saying, for he could hardly repress a shudder at certain points of the tale. But he was of German ancestry, and in childhood had doubtless been saturated with all kinds of ghosts and goblin lore, so that many fearsome superstitions were latent in his mind. Besides, he knew well the stories told by the Indian medicine men in their winter camps of the snow walkers and the specters, spirits, ghosts, and apparitions, the formless evil beings that haunt the forest depths, and Dog and Waylay, the lonely wanderer, who after nightfall passes through the regions where they lurk. It may be that when overcome by the horror of the fate that befell his friend, and when oppressed by the awful dread of the unknown, he grew to attribute, both at the same time still more in remembrance, weird and elfin traits, to what was merely some abnormally wicked and cunning wild beast. But whether this was so or not, no man can say. Whether the event occurred, Bauman was still a young man and was trapping with a partner along the mountains, among the dividing forks of the salmon from the head of the Wisdom River, not having much, had much of his partner determined to go up into a particularly wild and lonely pass through which ran a small stream said to contain many beavers. The pass had an evil reputation because the year before, a solitary hunter who had wandered into this was slain, seemingly by a wild beast, the half-eaten remains being afterwards found by some mining prospectors who had passed his camp only the night before. The memory of this event, however, waited very lightly with the two trappers, who were as adventurous and hardly as others of their kind. They took their two lean mountain ponies to the foot of the pass, where they left them at an open beaver meadow, the rocky timber-clad ground being from there onward impractical for horses, of course, in that trail. They then struck out on foot through the vast, gloomy forest, and in about four hours reached a little open glade, where they concluded and decided to camp. And this is where things get bizarre for them. They encountered giant, hairy humanoid beasts that attacked their camp, ransacked their belongings, took their weapons, and dragged one of the men halfway through the forest away from the opening. And Teddy Roosevelt, when retelling this story, had trouble catching his breath when relaying the information to fellow, fellow trappers, fellow outdoorsmen, and fellow men of the presidential past. Things like this really bring to mind the truth and the validity of tales such as this when someone as reputable as Teddy Roosevelt can actually relay a story and write about it in books that I myself have yet to read but am definitely dying to put my eyes upon. Roosevelt himself never names the creature aside from referring to it as a goblin, which was clearly one of the favorite terms for unknown beasties at that time. But contemporary readers with 
will instantly note that it sounds a whole lot like Bigfoot, also known as Sasquatch, the hairiest, smelliest, biggest, upright, walking, ape-like creature to ever reportedly stalk the mountains and forests of the Americas. We can imagine Roosevelt's regret at never encountering such a beast face-to-face, only finding signs of it. No doubt he would have relished facing off against such an impressive cryptoid. You can picture the future president stalking through the night, the moonlight reflecting off of his glasses and in his enormous rifle, murmuring, Bully! under his breath, as a 400-pound Bigfoot sizes him up from the far side of a clearing. It would have been a battle for the ages. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. The time that U.S. troops believed that they saw Bigfoot in the jungles of Vietnam, in the Kantum province of Vietnam, near the borders with Laos and Cambodia, there were many reports from the U.S. troops on patrols of a strange, not quite human, but not quite ape creature, the locals called Nagao Rung, or the people of the forest. In other words, we know him as Bigfoot. Gary Linderer was on a six-man patrol with the 101st Airborne Long Range Reconnaissance Patrols. While struggling through the underbrush, he ran into a deep set of eyes on a prominent brow, five feet tall with long muscular arms. The creature walked upright and was then much taller than five feet. He had broad shoulders and a heavy torso. His battle buddies told him he just saw a rock ape, but Lindwer had seen rock apes before. This was no rock ape. Once it stood completely tall, it was about an excess of seven feet. Like the Yeti in the Himalayas and the Sasquatch sightings all over North America, the Nagual Rung is an often told tale in this area. But despite endless sightings and folklore attached to the semi-mythical creature, no concrete evidence exists. Linderer wasn't the only witness either. Army Sergeant Thomas Jenkins reported his platoon was attacked by these apes throwing stones at them. Toward the end of the war, Viet Cong and NVA soldiers reported so many sightings of the reddish-brown-haired-covered Nagao Rong. The North Vietnamese Communist Party ordered scientists to investigate the sightings. Dr. Vo Quy, a respected doctor and environmental researcher from Hanoi, discovered the Nagao Rong footprint on the forest floor and made a cast of it. The cast was wider than a human foot and too big for an ape and much too long for a human. In 1982, another Vietnamese scientist, Tran Hong, Viet discovered more footprints, which led zoologist John McKinnon to investigate the region. McKinnon called the area a tiny, pristine corner of the world unknown to modern science. In 1969, McKinnon discovered man-like footprints in Borino's jungles, with the locals called Batutut, while much of the evidence surrounding the existence of these apes is only through theory alone. McKinnon, known for his discoveries of new mammal species in Vietnam, believes that there is a possibility the existence of a previously unknown ape species is very much real. The account of Nagai Rong 
Meeting American GIs in Vietnam was first published and Craig P.J. Jordanson's very crazy GI but strange true stories of the Vietnam War. Mothmen, gargoyles, demons, and angels. There are many winged cryptids that come into my mind when discussing those four topics. Uh, you've got a bat-like creature that flies around in uh, South Africa. There are winged beasts, winged angels, uh, harbingers of sorrow, gargoyles, demons, angels have wings. And it's an entire plethora that I'm going to be covering in this week's episode. It's, is it a bird or a plane? An in-depth history of winged beings. I'll call it that. I'll start off with the angel. Uh, it is a supernatural being or spirit, usually in humanoid form, from the Greek word angelos. It's found in various religions and mythologies. The theological study of angels is known as angelology. They are often depicted as benevolent celestial beings who act as intermediaries between heaven and earth, or as guardian spirits or a guiding influence. The term angel has also been expanded to various notions of spirits found in many other religions as well. Other roles of angels include protecting and guiding human beings and carrying out God's tasks. In art, angels are often depicted with bird-like wings on their back, a halo, robes, and various forms of glowing light as well. The celestial order of the universe, the readers of the scrolls, the seal breakers, bringers of destruction. Revelation is plagued with stories about these types of angels. Uh, most of them appear as a lion or a bull or some kind of a strange giant bird with a horse's body and a multitude of wings. And there are some that depict them as half man, half animal with uh, two or more wings and uh, extremely muscular in, in their appearance. It moves us on to the next one. Uh, of course, when you have angels, you have to have demons. A demon is a paranormal, often malevolent being prevalent in religion, occultism, literature, fiction, and folklore. The original Greek word, Greek word daemon, does not carry the negative con connotation initially understood by implementation of the koan, well, ancient Greek, I should say, and later scribed to any cognate word sharing the same root. In ancient Near Eastern religions, as well as in the Arabic traditions, including ancient and medieval Christian demonology, a demon is considered to be an unclean spirit, sometimes a fallen angel, a non-human spirit, or a spirit of unknown origin, which may cause demonic possession, thus calling for an exorcism. In Western occultism and Renaissance magic, which grew out of Greek Roman magic or Greco Roman magic. Jewish demonology and Christian tradition tells us a demon is a spiritual entity that may be conjured and controlled if you know its name. However, control is highly unlikely with these beasts. If you remember the movie Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, which was based on a book, the books, by the way, are way better than the movies. If you remember the Furies, which are demon-like or gargoyle-like in, in their appearance. The three goddesses of vengeance. 
Tisiphone, which is the avenger of murder, Megara, which is the avenger of jealousy, and Electo, which is constant anger. They were also called the daughters of the night, but were actually the daughters of Uranus and Gaia. Another name for them is the Irianus. Without mercy, the Furies would punish all crime, including the breaking of rules considering all aspects of society. They would strike the offenders with madness, never stopped following the criminals. The worst of all crimes was murder in that time. The Furies would enjoy punishing this kind of crime. Which brings me to Gargoyles. Gargoyles, of course, a wonderful movie was made in the 1970s. Uh, with uh, gargoyles as the um, both the protagonist and the antagonist, uh, an entire horde, a nest of gargoyles living in a cave, uh, encountered a family traveling west, and uh, they learned from each other. They're scary as hell, but they learned from each other. And of course, the animated show Gargoyles, which was dominating the television airwaves in the 1990s and early 2000s. According to myths and legends, real gargoyle creatures were very majestic and mysterious animals. They were stone statues during the day and magically turned into flesh and blood creatures during the night. The stone slumber was a way for them to rejuvenate themselves and even heal wounds accumulated from the previous night. The Jersey Devil. I'm not talking about Snooky from... The uh, Jersey Shore TV show, of, of course, that joke may fall on deaf ears of uh, today's generation, for only the millennials and Gen Xers will know what the hell I'm talking about. The Jersey Devil, not Snooky, rather, it's a flying bipedal horse creature, which is said to haunt the southern area of the Garden State, New Jersey. Tales of it have been passed along since the 1700s, when a demon child was said to have been born of Mother Leeds. There was a president who also encountered the Jersey Devil. She already had Mother Leeds, that is, had 12 children and said that if she had a 13th, it would be from the devil. Sure enough, one dark and stormy night, she popped out her 13th child and it transformed into a creature with hooves, a horse's head, bat wings, and a forked tail. 300 years later, and it's still being spotted pretty regularly as recently as September of 2012. In 1960, a $10,000 reward was offered for its capture, but its greatest fame was in 1909 when thousands of people claimed to have seen the cryptid over the course of a week. Another $10,000 reward was offered at this point causing a hoax entry made by sticking wings on a kangaroo where in the world did they find a freaking kangaroo in Jersey? That's what I'd like to know. Now moving along to very not-so-well-known winged bipedal creatures. Bipedal means walking upright on hind legs. The Papobawa, which is batwing and Swahili. Bat-like shape-shifting creature with one eye and a very large penis. Look out is said to stalk the men, oh boy, look out, and women of Zanzibar, Africa. It can appear as human or as an animal. The creature enters houses at night and sodomizes men, women, and children. 
Before leaving, it tells its victims to tell everyone in the village of its attack or risk it coming back for more. Now that we're back from our commercial, I was discussing Popobawa from Swahili, the language, of course. Near Zanzibar, this creature with one eye and an extremely large penis. I know, the large penis gets me too. But it doesn't get me, if you know what I mean. Also, Popobawa is the name of an evil spirit which is believed by residents to have first appeared on the Tanzanian island of Pemba. In 1995, it was the focus of a major outbreak of mass hysteria and panic, which spread from Pemba to the main island of the Zanzibar archipelago and across to Deir es Salaam and other urban centers on the East African coast. And that brings us to Ahul. The Ahul is a flying cryptid, supposedly a giant bat or, by other accounts, a living pterosaur or flying primate. Such a creature is not known to science, and there is no objective evidence that it exists as claimed. However, it is said to live in the deepest rainforests of Java, and it is described as having large dark eyes, large claws on its forearms, approximately the size of an infant, and a body covered in gray fur. Possibly the most intriguing and astounding feature is that it is said to have a wingspan of 10 feet. This is almost twice as long as the largest known bat in the world, the common flying fox. Bat Squatch. It's another flying cryptid. Yes, Bat Squatch. Never heard of this one till today. Well, actually, until I started putting this together and did this presentation. Nonetheless, this is was allegedly sighted near Mount St. Helens. It resembles a flying primate, similar to the Ahul and the Orangbati of Southeast Asia. Although it was sighted only once for a brief moment. Once, mind you, and it made my list. The witnesses allegedly took several pictures of the creature. However, these pictures have not been properly analyzed and thus cannot prove the creature's existence. This one, this is so original. Owl Man. The Owl Man, sometimes referred to as the Cornish Owl Man, or the Owl Man of Manan, is a purported cryptid that was supposedly sighted around mid-1976 in the village of Manan, Cornwall. Yeah, I've never heard of Owlman. Mothman's a little more believable. The Owlman is sometimes compared to America's Mothman. There we go, ding, 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 in cryptozoological encounters and literature. The Monan Church is built in the middle of a prehistoric earthwork. It's suggested that the church may be built on a ley line, which is a straight line that passes through and links several ancient sites and speculated that the appearance of the Owlman may be a manifestation of Earth energy in this place. And here's the money shot, Mothman. This one's my boy. I do the Mothman Festival almost every year as a guest speaker. That's where I sell my books, T-shirts I design, artwork that I do. Uh, now I've got nine-inch tall Sasquatch silhouettes on a pedestal that I'm selling. Uh, check out my... Uh, webpage for that link if you uh, want to know how to order one of those or just email me and I can send the link your way. Mothman is a winged creature reportedly seen in the Point Pleasant area of West Virginia from the 15th of November 1966 to the 15th of December 1967. 
The first newspaper report was published in the Point Pleasant Register, dated 16 November 1966, titled, Couples See Man-Sized Bird, Creature, Something. Mothman was introduced to a wider audience by Gray Barker in 1970, later popularized by John Keel in his 1975 book, The Mothman Prophecies, claiming that Mothman was related to a wide array of supernatural events in the area and that the collapse of the Silver Bridge. The 2002 film, The Mothman Prophecy, starring Richard Gere, was loosely based on Keel's book. On December 15, 1967, the Silver Bridge collapsed while it was full of rush hour traffic, resulting in the deaths of 46 people. Two of the victims were never found. That's probably because of the catfish that are in the river that are the size of Volkswagen beetles. Anyway, investigations of the wreckage pointed to the cause of the collapse being the failure of a single eye bar in a suspension chain due to a small defect that was no more than 2.5 millimeters deep in the flaw. Analysis showed that the bridge was carrying much heavier loads than it had originally been designed for. It was poorly maintained. The collapsed bridge was replaced by the Silver Memorial Bridge, which was completed in 1969. After the catastrophe of the bridge collapse, the UFO sightings that were dominating the skies over Point Pleasant and Gallipolis, Ohio, suddenly stopped. The Men in Black, MIB, vanished and stopped harassing people, and the Mothman moved on. There have even been an array of Mothman-type sightings in Nelsonville, Ohio, before the collapse of a train tunnel. Uh, Also, over New York City, a week leading up to the 9-11 attacks, and a month leading up to the Chernobyl catastrophe in Russia, as well as the nuclear power plant explosion catastrophe in Japan, several sightings of this type of creature have always been attached to some major catastrophe or an event that leads to uh, mass casualties. Winged cryptids and entertainment. Of course, there is a market for this. Uh, The entertainment value, that being new discoveries. This is something I hold dear to and preach constantly. Each year, scientists record another 18,000 new species of plants and animals. In recent years, they've added about 70 new reptiles and 400 new fish annually to the world's databases of species. Even more discoveries of plants and invertebrates have come forward. Biologists every year document about 2,000 new species of flowering plants and 13,500 new invertebrates. Now, this is your fun factoid. To date, we have explored less than 5% of our oceans. 5%. We've lived on this planet for millennia, and we've only thoroughly explored 5% of a planet that is over 72% water. The ocean is the lifeblood of this planet, covering more than 70% of the planet's surface, driving weather, regulating temperatures, and ultimately supporting all living organisms. Throughout history, the ocean has been a vital source of sustenance, transport, commerce, growth, and inspiration. Yet for all our reliance on the ocean, 95% of this realm remains unexplored 
and what is inside has remained unseen by human eyes. According to National Geographic, 86% of the world's species are still unknown. 86%! We are within reach of finding all of the remaining species. Are we way off? According to the experts and my research, the answer is we are that far off from thoroughly mapping and understanding the planet in which we inhabit with these creatures. When did we find these, the discoveries of the Western world? Let's start with gorillas. They were discovered in 1847 by the Western world, thought to be a creature of myth and legend. The Western gorilla was discovered by the American and missionary Thomas Stoughton Savage and a naturalist, Jeffrey Wyman. That was in 1847. That was just a short while before the Civil War. And then we've got the coelacanth. Coelacanths were thought to have gone extinct millions of years ago in the late Crustaceous period. But they were rediscovered in 1938 off the coast of South Africa. And these are beast fish. These are like dinosaur monster-looking fish. They're not attractive at all. You wouldn't want these in an aquarium. Then you've got the panda. In 1869, a French missionary, Armand Pierre David, obtained a specimen of a giant panda from Sichuan. And they were thought to be creatures of myth. No one believed these things truly existed in the Western world until they freaking found it and saw it for themselves. Then we got a giant squid. Thought to be a thing of myth, thought to be a part of deep sea tales and legends of pirates and merchants. It was photographed for the first time in 2004 and captured on video for the first time in 2006. And it's bigger than six freaking greyhound buses. It's a giant squid, a monster squid. The things of legend and lore often used in movies like Sinbad or Pirates of the Caribbean even. Um, monster squid. And, and you know, we, we have in restaurants where we're eating baby squid or we're eating fried octopus. And I have a soft spot for octopi. And they're an amazing creature, uh, an amazing specimen. The DNA within these creatures doesn't match any known DNA strand or chromosome composite that we've yet to discover on this planet. Their DNA composite is thought to be something of alien origin. And they swim in our oceans. And they get bigger and bigger the deeper you go. And we'll never in my lifetime reach the depths of the ocean required to see much bigger beasts. But due to climate change and the water rising because of the melting of the polar ice caps and the permafrost being gone, we're seeing and witnessing a lot more of these creatures coming up to the surface because the waters are getting colder. We're in, say, the Midwest. It's experiencing snow in mid-May. Are we going to have a snowstorm in July? And these are things that are cyclical and they rely on natural habitat and when things speed up, like with what we're doing in our own planet, natural occurrences and weather changes and weather patterns speed up drastically. 
and that throws the entire system off whack. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Well, that's all for today and for this week. Keep watching the skies. Keep searching for Bigfoot. Watch out for Mothman. Keep battling demons. Entertain spirits and ghosts because they may need you to cross over for them to cross over. And also keep an eye out for UFOs. And if you're in a big body of water, watch out for mythological and cryptozoological water monsters such as Champ, Ogopogo, and Nessie. Have a great weekend. And keep me in mind for next week when you want to listen to a podcast. Hopefully this was way more entertaining than most. Thank you very much. You stay.